Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. You are possibly the worst speller I know. Am I? I, I can't be that bad. Okay. I'm I gonna, do, I'm gonna I do give the you a English test. good sometimes, okay? How do you spell Calante? K-A-L-A-N-T-H-E. Calante. No. Can you use it in a sentence? Oh, my God. Could I have the definition, please? Uh, Could you use it in a sentence? You're wrong, but let's move on. I'm not going (laughs) to tell you how to spell it right. How do you spell Yurga? U-R-G-E-A- You're just making up stuff now. No, I mean, that's... No, no. In your notes, you spell it Y-E-R-G-A. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Duh. That's not how Yurga is spelled. Okay. Oh, Oh, font of wisdom. Font of wisdom. Font okay. of wisdom. Okay, what? What? How do you spell it? Y U R G A. Oh yeah, that's so obvious. I don't know how I missed that. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Sure. Okay, you're just you're <laughs> really bad at spelling, and I have to like constantly go through this and be like, okay, yeah, that's not right. What is he trying to say here? <laughs> at least I'm not spelling with letters and numbers. Are you saying that the bar is spelling things with numbers? It's a pretty low standard, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm 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 at least above that, but Well, I don't know. I mean, it it feels like we're at the point where we start summarizing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um so what are we talking about tonight? Especially since we have a this is kind of a special episode. This is the last episode of the second book. Kind of. We'll Wait, do a kind sum- of. We'll do a summary. Oh yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we I forgot we do summary episodes of the book. So. Yeah, but yeah. it is the last chapter. This is the last chapter of the last of the, the last chapter of the second book. You um, good over there? I'm, I'm, I'm doesn't fine. And what is the name of this chapter? Something more. Something more. Ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So why don't we try and venture into the the long and skinny? What do, What do you think? Are sure. we Are we there? Sure, I guess. Did we did we did we banter to the sufficient quantity? I don't think we. I don't know. We're we're kind of off our game today, but a little bit. <laughs> we well, can get back to so it. for for anyone listening out in Radio Land, we're we're recording a little bit earlier uh, today because it's a it's a Sunday and daylight savings time happened, which. Uh, since apparently we have some international listeners, I don't know if that they do that other places, but I think it's just something weird that America does. We all decide to change our clocks around by about an hour, about twice a year. Yeah. Um, and it throws everybody off for a good like week or so afterwards. So, I mean, at least we gained an extra hour of sleep, but I also feel like this year is different because we're right ahead of the apocalypse that's yeah, going yeah. to happen we on November 3rd. We don't so. need an extra hour. Like, no, don't don't make don't give us more of 2020. Give us less. Less. Let's get <laughs> less, 12 hours. Less 2020, please. <laughs> We're ready for this to be over. Uh, Until we wake up on December 32nd in another few months and oh, uh, it keeps going. That sounds like so amazing to just like just, wake just up continue, not in 2020 just to continue living in this in this wonderful year i don't want to live in this timeline anymore no this is the darkest timeline can you imagine the in memoriam reel at like the oscars in 2021 
it'll just be like everyone like <laughs> it'll be just everyone who died i mean like it seems like it's gonna endless. be like a 45 minute like powerpoint like screen sh- <laughs> slideshow all the crap that happened yeah. this year all the people i mean sean connery died uh yesterday so i mean he was he was also like 900 years old and the last highlander so i mean i guess it's it's kind of fitting but well we don't know what's going to happen just for transparency this is going to come out um after the election in the u.s oh yeah this will be coming out after the after the election we are pre-election we are we are recording in the the heady future we have no idea what's gonna happen so (laughs) let's hope that things are better on thursday i have no clue what's going to happen there's gonna be a lot of there might be a determining factor on the on the tone of the next episode when uh for anyone who's well actually most of them will probably have already read news etc etc so all right. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, you're not getting your news from us because we're not reliable uh, I don't, narrators. I don't, we are. We are very unreliable narrators. So, speaking of, why don't <laughs> why don't we do some narration? <laughs> so let's move into the long and skinny, long and short, long and long and skinny, long and skinny cow latte. Yes. You're off your game at like five thirty on a Sunday, John. Mark. <laughs> it's I. It's five thirty on a Sunday. That's why I'm off my game. Okay, all right. <laughs> so you're saying you have to be several drinks in, and it has to be like nine thirty at night for you I, like, to be on on like top of your game. Okay, yeah, probably, probably. Okay. At least in terms of witty banter, possibly. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Let's get into our summary after teasing it two times. That's true. That's true. All right. So something more. We begin. There is a guy on the underside of a cart. He's freaking out. Too terrified to move. Uh, his cart is stuck and he's in a very isolated part of the wilderness. Um, he's seen like lots of corpses strewn about. There's like a whole bridge area where there's just skeletons. I mean, there's just death all around him. Mm-hmm. He sees a man approaching him. Mm-hmm. He can keep in mind he's under a cart, so he can only see like he half. can see feet. He, I yeah. mean, like he can only see really from the waist down. Mm-hmm. And he sees a guy that looks pretty menacing mm-hmm. approaching him. So he's freaking out. Um, he's cowering, and he comes out and faces whoever it is, and mm-hmm. it's a man with white hair that's tied back mm-hmm. on a seed that's chestnut mm-hmm. um named roach the mm-hmm. man addresses the horse yeah. as roach mm-hmm. so we know who this is pretty immediate we know who it is the man mm-hmm. asks the man who's cowering under the cart mm-hmm. um what are you doing here like you know that it's like D- really do you dangerous. know where you are like Come on, like I'll I'll get you out of here. And mm-hmm. the man who we now know as Yurga says all of my livelihood is on this cart. Like mm-hmm. everything yep. that I have, like I can't just leave it behind. And Girl's like, Okay, but what's so valuable that like it's worth your life? Mm-hmm. And Yurga's like thinking in his head, Oh, well, I have like rags and like a bunch of other useless stuff, but still he's I mean like reluctant. yeah, if if you individually categorize it, yeah, the, the, the wooden spoons aren't really worth my life, but probably I not. have a lot of them and it's my only assets right now, so Yeah. Um so Yurga's like, please just get me and my card out of it. I'll give you anything you mm-hmm. want. And Gerald's like, what did you say? Also, I called him Gerald. 
We aren't introduced to him as Geralt, we but we know he's yeah. Geralt, so we're just going to call him Geralt. <laughs> it's it's a nice little surprise in the read, but we all know who it is, and like a guy with white hair with like yeah, a yeah. brown. So we'll horse. probably just call him Geralt from now on. Yes. Like unreliable narrators continued. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Geralt's like, hold up, you said you'll give me anything I want. Anything. Yurga immediately knows he's messed up. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I meant anything with stipulations and uh, not valid in, in all locations. Uh, so he knows, like, pretty much that this man is a witcher. Mm-hmm. And he knows what's been said about witchers. Mm-hmm. He knows all the law of surprise stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he's, like, thinking, oh, my gosh, if I could kick myself in the head, I would. Yeah. Like, and he's like, uh, I'll owe you lifelong gratitude. <laughs> One really good hug. <laughs> and Geralt's like, no, you said you'll give me anything. Mm-hmm. So will you give me anything? And Yurka's like, uh-huh. Yeah. He's like, great. I'm going to go take care of whatever's out there, mm-hmm. whatever creatures are lurking that have killed everyone around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you stay here. Cool. And so Geralt goes off and prepares for the fight. Mm-hmm. And he's got his back to Yurga. Um, Yurga is trying to get his attention. He's like, sir. And Geralt turns around and he has all of his potions in full effect. And so his mm-hmm. eyes are like dark. Pitch black. And, and his like, veins are showing through his yeah. face. And Yurga's like, uh? Uh, And Geralt's like, get under the cart now. <laughs> and Yurga's like, cool. I uh, I didn't even come out. I'm just uh, just pretending I'm not here. Um, so, um, the creatures emerge, they're described as these little, like, goblin things. So, yeah, I was gonna say, they don't really, like, actually explain what they are or what it is that he's fighting, but I kind of piece together that I think they're harpies, Mm. um, especially based on the location, like, it's a bunch of cliffs, um, based on the way they attack, they talk about, like, attacking Geralt's, or not... Geralt's head but they attack Yurga's head mm-hmm. later on there's like claws and talons that they kind of latch onto from above um so I think they're harpies it's kind of just what I've been visualizing and it kind of mm-hmm. works and also hence why I was uh, yeah yeah and they seem to have like kind of a nest and like a roost and there's bones everywhere kind of like a predatory bird would kind of thing so so Yurga sees Geralt in full um, fight mode. Mm-hmm. He takes out his sword. It's shining. It's like nothing Yurga's ever seen before. He does talk about how cool this sword it's is. It's a pretty cool sword. It's such a cool sword. It glows in the dark. There, there's just a full-on fight that ensues. Um, Geralt seems to have the upper hand, mm-hmm. but these creatures are wily. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, Geralt goes out of view in the fight Mm -hmm. and Yurga is only hearing some of this Mm -hmm. stuff and he's getting like covered in like the blood and viscera Mm -hmm. of the fight. Um, At one point he's like cornered by one of them. Mm -hmm. They're coming under the cart to reach under and uh, Geralt saves him like just in the nick of Mm -hmm. time. Yep. And so after dealing with all of the harpies and things are starting to quiet down, um, Yurga sees Geralt come back over to him and he's like, hey, and then he immediately collapses. It just collapses right in front of him. And I just love that imagery, like someone coming, like especially Geralt coming up to someone yeah, and like, yeah. hey, and then like face planning. Yep. <laughs> Seems like a very Geralt thing to do. It's a very Geralt thing. Um, the next section is Geralt um, 
flashing in and out of um like consciousness he's hearing things mm-hmm. and hearing people having a conversation mm-hmm. um this is the first time he hears yurga's name mm-hmm. uh the men including yurga are discussing like how to treat Geralt because mm-hmm. he's really badly wounded yep. he's losing a lot of blood um they hear Geralt say Yennefer mm-hmm. um in his sleep mm-hmm. so there's a lot of sections in this that are basically dream sequences yes. um but fortunately, they're a lot more linear and a lot easier to follow um, <laughs> yeah. than the last segment, which mm-hmm. is all just like, you know, Geralt, fun, happy, big Lebowski acid trip. Um, yeah, it's a little less fun for Geralt this time. Yeah, it's less fun for Geralt, but it's easier to follow. It just doesn't indicate necessarily when it when it becomes a dream sequence and when it's not. But once you figure that out, right. it's, it's easier to follow. So, so um, Geralt wakes up in Yurka's cart eventually. Mm-hmm. Um and Yurga immediately says, don't move or you're, you'll tear your dressing. Mm-hmm. You're still losing a lot of blood and you're burning with fever. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt asks for the contents of this blacken with a green seal. Mm-hmm. It's not really clear what this liquid is. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, don't be alarmed because I'm going to thrash and then I'll... I'm going to look dead. I'll look dead for <laughs> quite a while. Don't worry. It's completely normal. Yep. Totally so, normal. He takes the substance and immediately looks up and sees millions of stars. Mm-hmm. There are bonfires all around, um, and it's a big festival. Mm-hmm. People are dancing between the bonfires, and it's just a, a big festival. Yeah, yep. We learn this is Beltane, mm-hmm. which is the day before May Day. Yep, okay. Um, so it's like a spring slash midsummer festival. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty common in European countries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he's dancing with this one woman who he describes as very much not his type, which mm-hmm. I think Geralt is still dreaming about. <laughs> oh, I'm not sexually interested in that woman. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's dancing with a, a woman who's described as very short and very plump and sort of like an every woman. Mm-hmm. They're dancing between the fires. Um, they're sort of getting close to like hooking up, but then the woman like looks into his eyes mm-hmm. and she realizes there's something weird with him. Yeah. And she immediately just sort of like goes away and rejoins uh, her friends oh, and just like looks back once and, and then Geralt's mm-hmm. on his own. So he then sees that Yennefer is there mm-hmm. and Yennefer is with some young man mm-hmm. um, that she is enchanted Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And yeah. she's just sort of enjoying herself, and Geralt's like, Yennefer. And, like, immediately the guy sort of, like, stumbles away. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that she was with stumbles away, sort of, like, dazed. And mm-hmm. uh, Yennefer's like, oh, you caught me in the act, or something yeah, like yeah. that. She says... I had that one. <laughs> delicto flagrante? And flagrante. And um, she says tra- delicto as well. And uh, delicto flagrante. I don't necessarily know how delecto would translate, um, but en flagrante usually means in flagrancy, um, which is more of like in a direct violation or like caught red handed uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I can't remember if it's Latin or Italian. Um, I'm assuming delecto would translate to something like deliciously red handed or something like that. Yeah, that, that's kind of, of and that's kind of the tone that she takes. So I'm a lot more context than than any actual translation on my part. They, they have a conversation. Um, 
like Jennifer is like, oh, how long has it been since we saw each other? Like a year. And Geralt, like any simp, has the exact figure of the time they've spent away from each other. 387 days and 62 hours and 47 minutes. He I says, mean, what? one year, two months and 18 days. God, Geralt, <laughs> build a bridge. Get over it, man. Ah, um, this is this is painful. Mm-hmm. But I like the specificity because it gives us more context as to like what the timeline is. So yeah, so actually, we do it know is how long it's been between stories. It's it's kind of weird because it's both a character building like hook for Geralt and also kind of a nice grounding point for us, the reader. <laughs> Yeah, Geralt like kind of tells Yen, oh, I was with someone and they got freaked out by my eyes. And she's mm-hmm. like, don't worry about it. You'll find another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Geralt immediately is like, let's get into the spirit of Beltane. Mm-hmm. And like, Yen's like, I really don't want to. And even if I wanted to, it's going to end like it always does. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. going to end in pain for everyone. Yep. Yep. Um. They still end up like sort of going back into their old patterns, though. Geralt asks, oh, do you want to like at least go away and like, you know, observe the festival from like mm-hmm. up on this hill over here? And yeah, it's like, yeah. sure. Um, they're watching fireworks like Yen launches a firework into the sky over mm-hmm. the festival. Mm-hmm. They're observing um, what's happening. Uh, Geralt really, really still wants to be with her, but he's mm-hmm. worried that if he comes off too strong, that she's going to just, you know, be repulsed, mm-hmm. which she pretty much already knows that he's into her because he knows the exact timing. Yeah, yeah he kind of already already apart. revealed his hand a little bit on that one. So I'm confused. I mean, but it's, it's dream logic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can kind of leave that one. So it, um, actually, that is one thing I forgot um, is this section a dream or is it a memory? Pretty sure it's a dream. It's a dream? Okay. I'm yeah, pretty and- sure it's a dream because it has significant imagery. Plus, it's it makes sense because he took this substance that mm-hmm. does make you... Hallucinations is one of, the, one of the side effects, yeah. So, anyway, they're having a conversation. Geralt is discussing or having this inner monologue. Like, what do I say to her? Like, maybe I'll just start with, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and Yen, who has read his mind by this point, is like, mm-hmm. oh, there's nothing much to report. Yeah, and Geralt's yeah. like, you know I hate when you do that. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always hated when she reads uh, his mind. Yen is observing the festival and the festivities of Beltane, and she's sort of waxing poetic um, about the nature of sorcerers, sorceresses, and mutants, and how they defy the natural order and Mm -hmm. Beltane is this festival um celebrating the rebirth it is a spring Mm -hmm. festival yep um so it's kind of weird that these two mutants are like here observing it it feels like they shouldn't be um she says they're celebrating the eternal cycle of nature regenerating itself and us what are we doing here we relics doomed to obliteration to extinction and oblivion nature is born again the cycle repeats itself but not for us Geralt we cannot reproduce ourselves Mm. we were deprived of that potential we were given the ability to do extraordinary things with nature occasionally literally against her and at the same time 
what is most natural and simple in nature was taken from us. Mm -hmm. What if we live longer than them? After our winter will come the spring and we shall be not be reborn. What finishes will finish along with us. But both you and I are drawn to these bonfires. Though our presence here is a wicked, blasphemous mockery of this world. Mm. I included it because it really does sort of sum up like Geralt's fears and Mm -hmm. Yen's fears in this tidy um, monologue. And I thought it was really important to have the full quote. Yeah, especially because, you know, once again, we know at this point that neither one of them can have kids. So, yeah. And it gives Mm -hmm. us a little more insight as to like why Yen has always wanted to have that option, Mm -hmm. which comes up again and again. Yep. Yep. Um, Geralt instinctively embraces her and he like rocks her gently because um, as he describes, he knows she needs it, even though she would say she didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still he cannot help himself he still really desires her. He wants to be with her. Mm -hmm. Um, Yennefer says something that I thought was actually really sweet. Um, She says that she misses Geralt's silence the most. (laughs) Well, with with Geralt, I think there might be a lot of that. (laughs) A lot of silence. A lot of silence. But you know what they say about being able to be comfortable in silence. Yeah, yeah, that is is an important thing. It is comforting. Yeah. Um, So... Geralt is once again like, you know, come on, can we? He doesn't say it, but mm-hmm. his actions are making it very clear what he wants. Mm-hmm. And so Yen is like, sure, just this once because it's Beltane. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, let it be our Beltane. We shall part in the morning. Don't expect any more. I cannot. I could not. Forgive me. If I have hurt you, kiss me and go away. I love this because it echoes so many of the themes that we've seen in other stories. Mm-hmm. One, it echoes that sacrifice. So we talk mm-hmm. about a little sacrifice, the thing that Geralt could not give Essie, mm-hmm. that Yennefer could also not give Geralt. Yep. yep. Um, I cannot do it. I can't do it, is what Yennefer says. Geralt mm-hmm. sort of has to be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. And yep. because this is presumably unfolding and is like, you know, unconscious. This is, yeah, this is actually Geralt's subconscious. It's not even like, you know, actually our memory or actually happened. We know that he at some point is processing this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Geralt tells her, if I kiss you, I won't go away. And mm. Yennefer says, I was counting on that. Oh. And mm. so they start kissing. There is some sex that unfolds. Mm-hmm. Uh he smells the scent of lilac, lilac and, and gooseberries. gooseberries. Yep, we get uh, it. We yeah. get it. Um, <laughs> at the end of it, Yen is crying. Um, Geralt asks her, like, are you crying? And, and she says, no. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt asks, aren't you cold? Yen says, yes, I am. Geralt says, and now? Then she says, now I'm warmer. I really like this because I thought it got back to, um, it tied directly back to Shard Vice. Because mm-hmm. remember when she um, compares herself to the Winter Queen, mm-hmm. she's always mm-hmm. saying that I desire warmth the most. So mm-hmm. when he's saying like, "Are you warmer now?" I feel like it acknowledges that. But maybe I'm thinking too much about it. No, I th- I think that would be a direct callback, really. Like, um, yeah, and she can't feel like entirely warm or entirely mm-hmm. complete. But when she's with Geralt, she, she might feel a little better. Warmer, and that might be Geralt's subconscious and inner desire is for Yen yeah. to feel warmer. It's open to interpretation. It is. It is. It is a dream, after all. Yep. 
Um, so together they watch the dawn. Mm. Um, it's getting lighter and lighter. Um, Yen asks him um, if she's hurt him. Mm-hmm. And Geralt responds a little. Um, Yen asks, will it begin again? And Geralt says it never ended. Mm. Again, reflecting the ever on again, off again nature of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Yen recalls, again, we're going back to all of our greatest hits of Sword of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she recalls um, the time they met mm-hmm. um, during the incident with the Golden Dragon and three mm-hmm. jackdaws. Um, and she's doing this to reprise something that the three jackdaws told them, mm-hmm. um, that they were made for each other, but nothing will come of it. Mm-hmm. She says, we're made for each other. Perhaps we're destined for each other, but nothing will come of it. It's a pity when dawn breaks, we shall part. We have to part so as to not hurt one another. We two mm-hmm. destined for each other, created for each other. Pity. The ones are ones who created us. Um, we're insufficient. It's too little. Something more is needed. Mm. Forgive me. I emphasize something more because it comes up again and mm-hmm. again. And we have we have chapter title as well. So um, something more is needed. You can't just have destiny. Mm-hmm. It's also something else. Yeah. So what is that something more? Mm-hmm. Question. We'll get back to. Um, Yen, at the end of the stream sequence, tells Geralt to ride to Sintra. Mm-hmm. Geralt is confused as to why she knows about this. Like, yeah, how do you yeah, know about, yeah. like, Siri and Sintra? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, sort of explains it away with, oh, yeah, she knows everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, at the end of it, um, Geralt asks if they can wait a little bit while longer until dawn fully breaks mm-hmm. in, and Yennefer says yes. So, that's how it ends. Um... When Geralt comes to again, Yurga tells him again, don't move. Mm-hmm. Like, again, you're losing a lot of blood, and mm-hmm. I, we're having to constantly change your dressing. Uh, Geralt tells Yurga to pour the flask on his wound. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this was the substance that he had already taken. Yeah, it's, he said it was the green flask again, Ouch. which I think he had a couple of them. Yeah. There's so much pain, so yeah, much yeah. burning. Um, his fever is still raging and his wound is very swollen. Yurga mm-hmm. says like, it's getting so much worse. Uh, Geralt tells Yurga, like, I know I haven't said it before, but thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yurga tells him it's not you who needs to thank me. I should be the one thanking you. Mm-hmm. You saved my life. Uh, Geralt tells him I've been abandoned in situations so many times before. Like yeah, a dog. Yeah. Um, Yurga tells him, what can I say? And he says, it's a base world, but that's no reason for us all to become despicable. What we need is kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really nice quote because mm. it does speak to, we don't have to succumb to the despicable nature of our world. Yeah, yeah. He also tells Geralt that they've left Maria and are now in Sodden. Mm-hmm. Um, Sodden has recently been devastated by war. Mm. A battle that happened about a year ago. Um, but we don't get into that much now. Mm. Um, Yurga tells Geralt that he was asleep when they crossed the border, but that the guard immediately recognized him as Geralt's Rivia and yep. promised to send a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yerga tells Geralt that he also gave the guards some money so he would be sure as to not forget. Mm -hmm. Um, And Geralt again thanks him. He says that he doesn't know how to thank him enough. Uh, Yerga also says he hasn't forgotten about their agreement. So Mm -hmm. the one where Geralt asked him if he would give him anything. Yep. Um, So Geralt starts hallucinating once again. Um, Like you do. He sees a large number of kids playing in the street mm-hmm. um, in a dried up moat, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Mausak is there. Remember, mm-hmm. Mausak is the druid who worked as the teacher yep, yep. for Siri, uh, and uh, he had recently parted with him. So Geralt and him are watching them play. Geralt asks Mausak which boy is the child of destiny. Mausak says he's forbidden to reveal which one. Hmm. And it's also kind of confusing because he's constantly referring to him as boy, mm-hmm. son. Boy. Um, which is, I, I don't quite know the nature of that, but we can get into mm. that later. Mm. Um, Mausak says that he was ordered by Kalanthe to cheat Geralt by killing the child of destiny. Um, but at the last second, Kalanthe rescinded the order. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mausak said he wouldn't have defied her otherwise. Yeah, yep. Um, Geralt also asks, um, how did Dooney and Pavetta die? Because mm. he never heard. Nope. Um, it turns out that Dooney and Pavetta were sailing back to Sintra from Skellige, which are the Isles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where Mausak is from, actually. Yep. Yep. Um, and they, uh, their ship just wrecked. Mm-hmm. And the Child of Destiny wasn't with them. And Mausak sort of begins saying it's so weird because Pavetta couldn't be parted with and then he breaks off. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt at this point sees that there's a little child that's running after the boys mm-hmm. um, and actually helping one of the boys who's hurt and falls. Mm-hmm. I think that's supposed to be Siri in his memory, but yeah, I wasn't yeah. quite sure. Well, his in his hallucination, right? Yes, yeah, in his yeah. hallucination. Um. They go to Kalanthe. Kalanthe has three other women there, likely lady-in-waiting or um, handmaidens, and she dismisses them. Uh, Kalanthe tells Geralt, oh, you're so punctual, like painfully so. You're here (laughs) six years exactly Exactly on the moment. Um, Kalanthe says, oh, what stories will they tell about the Witcher and, you know, the Child of Destiny? Um... I should demand that you pick the mm-hmm. child out of the 10 that are running by the moat. Mm-hmm. And if you pick right, then you get to keep the kid. Yay. And or if you don't get, if you don't pick right, you get to keep the kid. Kalanthe says, I think in the legend, they would give you three chances, but I think in this, I'm going to give you just one. Mm-hmm. You have one, you get to keep the child no matter what, mm-hmm. but it just might be very wrong. It might not be the child of destiny. Um, Kalanthe asks him, how many, chi- how, how many children um, in your witcher process mm-hmm. uh, survive the trial of the grasses? Um, and Geralt's kind of like, how do you know about that? <laughs> and Kalanthe's like, I have my sources. Uh, she's like, I've been told it's as low as three in 10 or four in 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and of those, the children have terrible side effects. Um Eyes boiling from trying to turn into the cat eyes Mm -hmm. of butchers. Mm -hmm. Um, 
brains that don't come back from the hallucinations, mm-hmm. etc. Um, Geralt is like, yeah, like, why else do you think I'm here? Like, we yep. can't get children from just recruiting them or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at this point, um, Kwampe's like, hey, just just pick a kid and get out of here, basically. Hey, kid, do you wanna do you wanna participate in a thing that has a seventy percent chance of making your eyeballs melt? Would you like to know more? <laughs> um, and Geralt's like, I can't pick a child from that pack because I know that Pavetta's son is not among them. Uh-huh. And Kalanthi's like, very well, come with me. And so he follows her and they go into this like separate area. Mm-hmm. They sit down together and Kalanthi asks Geralt, how did you know that Pavetta's son was not among those children? Mm-hmm. And Geralt's like, I didn't. It was a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. And basically your answer told me yep. that I was right. I didn't know that, but I know that now. Um, and Kalanthe also asks, like, how did you know that none of them were fit to be witchers? And Geralt says, well, I didn't. Um, every child is technically fit. It's destiny that chooses. It's, mm. se- it's destiny that selects. Hmm. Um, Kalanthe says, by the gods of the sea, as my permanently absent husband would say. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if here she's supposed to be talking about East or she's talking about her first husband or Pavetta's father. It could go It could go any direction, honestly. I was inclined to um, believe it was East because I, yeah. by the gods of the sea is a very Skellige thing to yeah, say. Yeah, that would be very, very Skellige, yep. But I have no clue, honestly, because that would... That would seem to indicate that East was not a very good husband either. Yeah. Well, so like, and here's here's where we could dig in and interpret a little bit um, that there's a good chance that like she probably married her first husband uh, out of like uh, like a, a an arranged or a power marriage. Right. Um, so she probably didn't really necessarily love him. Mm-hmm. Um, but East, um, we know that she married him because she loved him. Mm-hmm. So as a result, she would probably adopt some of his mannerisms or enjoy talking about him a little bit more than like someone who had an arranged marriage, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but she says permanently absent husband. Yeah, yeah. That it, would implicate it's not out of like fondness. Yeah, yeah. It, it's probably more just like resentment that that's, that's kind of like the life that he lives and chooses kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Kalante says... Okay, I see that now it's just a game, but it's a really dangerous game. Why do you go through all that trouble making parents make this choice mm-hmm. and basically putting them in the situation when you could get a kid from anywhere? I'm sure there's no mm-hmm. shortage of parents selling their kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, Geralt kind of doesn't have a good answer for that. Mm-hmm. There, there's not really any answer. But I want the just... special destiny kid. Well, he doesn't really believe in destiny. He doesn't. And he gets he doesn't. into that. Um, it's basically just like tradition, right? That's mm-hmm. how it's always yeah, yeah, been done. Kalanthe, yeah. um, you know, Geralt keeps saying like, you know, I'm okay with giving this up. Like, I don't even want to take the child. Like, you could... Mm-hmm. You could ask me really nicely and say, like, this child, like, please don't take the child. Mm. It's all I have. And I wouldn't take it. I'd probably be like, yeah, okay. And Kalante is kind of offended. Like, 
okay, we, we go through all of this and mm-hmm. you still don't want to take the child. Like, mm-hmm. what are you afraid of? Basically, you're being led by fear. Mm-hmm. You're afraid of destiny. And Geralt says, yeah, I basically don't deny it. Mm-hmm. And Kalante says, well, you kind of gain in my eyes in that respect, because at least you're not afraid to admit that you have fear, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so Geralt asks, like, how did you arrive at that conclusion, Kalante? And Kalante mm-hmm. uh, reprises what he said in the beginning and says, I didn't. It was a shot in the dark. And they both mm-hmm. get a good laugh out of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Child abduction. Uh, uh, Kalante asks, asks Geralt if he believes in destiny. And Geralt says, I don't think I do. I'm a commonplace foundling, the unwanted bastard of a common woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to call an accident destiny. Um, Kalante asks, why don't you make more witchers the traditional way? Like, why can't you go out and reproduce? Just, um, just do it, you know, the old fashioned way. And he's like, there's probably a reason why you don't, though. And Geralt's mm-hmm. like, you are correct. Witchers can't make children mm-hmm. the natural way. Um Geralt's saying, like, you know, how how could I subject a child to this life? Like, all mm-hmm. of the dangers that it entails. Like, mm-hmm. if I take a child today, I'm subjecting it to the same kind of life I've gone through. Yeah, yep. And it doesn't... I, I know that Geralt is very much about choice as yeah. well. Um, and so, like, he doesn't... Fe- I, I feel like there's a little bit that he doesn't feel right choosing mm-hmm. this life for someone else. Right. It's hard because, like, Mm -hmm. destiny is kind of a short way around, like, the really icky part of abducting children. Yes, (laughs) that you are ostensibly abducting children. Oh, it's your choice. And giving them a 70% chance of dying horribly. That kind of goes back to, um, you know, during A Question of Price in the Mm -hmm. dinner. Yeah. Geralt was the one that explained that it's, not enough to just have the law of surprise the mm-hmm. child on the other end has to say yes like yeah it's a choice yeah, as well yeah. uh Calante says selection takes place everywhere though mm-hmm. if it's not you know a witcher's life it's like yeah. every other hazard like famine war mm-hmm. death selects yep. everything's a selection so even though it's not like the trial of the grasses mm-hmm. where you have a high likelihood of not making through it there's always a chance there might be a war that might come through and take out, you know, 40% of your children. Otherwise, you know, Kalante is curious about like how Geralt came to that life. Mm-hmm. And he reveals here that his mother was a sorceress. Mm. I think this is the first time we've actually heard. This is the first time we've actually heard any of like Geralt's actual backstory. Yeah. And Kalante is like, I thought that sorceresses couldn't, though. Mm-hmm. And Geralt's like, she probably thought so, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is where we come to, like, to reunite two people. Something more than destiny is needed. Mm-hmm. Something more, something more, something more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always something we more than it, destiny. We get it, we get it, we get it. I'm not we get it in you, I'm we get it in Anse. <laughs> uh so Kalante is like, I really appreciate you not taking the child, but if you ever change your mind, I'll be here because mm-hmm. like we're not defying destiny in this house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Fuente's like, aren't you even a little curious? Don't you want to see the child? And Geralt's like, no. Nah, I'm good. Uh, I'm just as well okay. not seeing the child. Okay. Um, Calante tells Geralt, I have a curious sense of foreboding. This is the last time we shall see each other. Mm. Ooh, Ooh, ominous. So Geralt wakes up from another fever dream. Mm. His thigh pain is mysteriously gone. Mm. He's also paralyzed, like, everywhere. Sleep paralysis, like, hardcore. Yep. Uh, he, he's feeling just really trapped in his own body. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone else is there feeding him potions. It's a woman wearing men's clothing with very red hair. Hmm. Um, Yurga is also there. He's helping um, her turn Geralt over. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out that they're stopped at like this timber camp. Mm-hmm. There's this weird like inner monologue that's going on with Geralt mm-hmm. during this whole exchange where Yeah, actually it's not something that we see in other chapters um that he kind of kicks into like a there's inner monologue. Like that's the, yeah, that is the best way to describe it. Um but like it kind of shows up just for this section and well, then goes away. Yeah, like Geralt constantly knows that there's something and he's kind of afraid of the woman mm-hmm. finding out that he knows what he knows. Mm-hmm. So he's like kind of afraid, kind of excited, kind of like yeah, yep. this is a situation that is very weird for him. Yeah. Um, he puts together that she's both a sorceress and a healer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Geralt thinks to himself, oh, that adds up. I'm not sure what it adds up to. What does it add up of, to? leaving mm. us out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he he wonders constantly, does she know? Does she know? Mm. Um, he's like, if she's a sorceress, she can read my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, she calls him Geralt of Rivia, and he's kind of confused by that. Like, maybe mm-hmm. she is reading his thoughts, yeah. or maybe Yerga just mm-hmm. told uh, her his name. Um, he actually reveals that the potion he was taking was Black Gull, which mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with what kind of potion that is or what its effects i guess it's a hallucinogen Um, it's um so i think black gall i'm reaching back on what i remember from the video game um it's it's a black potion um that it's thanks for that (laughs) fair enough um but it uh it it's supposed to like enhance your reflexes um and your regeneration at least that's like the effect in the video game i'd have to actually like look it up and you played substantially more of the video game than i did but i do remember coming across it i think we used it in the in the fight with um vampire guy uh no i think that's different i thought we did anyway anyways um so the sorceress is telling him it's good that you took the witcher's draw it like that mm-hmm. probably helped save your life. That and the fact that a witcher's heartbeat is like three times lower than a normal mm-hmm. man's. It mm-hmm. stopped the blood loss substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be good now, but like take some professional advice. Stop taking hallucinogens, please. Um, <laughs> Which I don't like even even <laughs> coming back to it a second time. Like I still don't know why she said that other than just like, well, we find out like something else in a few minutes here, but. Um, it's just kind of funny to me. Stop taking hallucinogens. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> no. <laughs> he asks her what her name is, and mm. she tells him that she's Visena, mm-hmm. and that sparks 
a lot of like confirmation in Geralt's head mm-hmm. toward whatever he was already thinking. He's like, I really sure was sure that she wasn't going to say her name, mm-hmm. but he already knows that her name is Visenna, but we don't know why he mm-hmm. knows. She also says like, look, I don't take payment for butchers, like call it professional solidarity. Solidarity. So she's we're, doing we're all in this, this work. together. Think about it. She's doing all of this work. Mm-hmm. for nothing mm-hmm. out of the goodness of her heart mm-hmm. doesn't Pe- really people have. people don't have good hearts no not in this Mm-mm. universe except yurga yurga is precious angel mm-hmm. um Geralt kind of reaches for her hand he notices that very soft young skin mm-hmm. like he would expect from a sorceress um he asks Asena, do you believe in destiny mm-hmm. um and she says i do um he says he's very glad that their paths crossed. Mm-hmm. And Vicenna says chance or perhaps destiny. Mm. Maybe. Um, Geralt asks, do you believe that people linked by destiny will always find each other? Vicenna responds, yes. Geralt rolls over and looks her in the eyes. And he sees that there's no resemblance. And this is where we first get the direction that this is going. Mm-hmm. Who Vicenna could be, who mm-hmm. she might be. Um, Geralt asks her, "How do you like my enhanced eyes? Mm. Do you know what procedures witchers go through, and that sometimes they don't work?" Vicenna tells him, "Stop it." She's like really curt with it. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to hear about this. Mm-hmm. Geralt tells um, her that Vesemir gave Geralt his name, and that he invented a homeland, Rivia. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like taught him how to imitate a Rivian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Geralt like continues saying like, you tell me today that you believe in destiny. And back then, did you believe back then? Mm-hmm. You must have believed destiny would bring us together. The fact that you did nothing to quicken this encounter ought to be attributed to that. She still doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt says he always wondered what he might say to her if they met. He wondered if it would give him some sort of perverse pleasure to come, mm. you know, back in contact with her. Mm. And he sees a lone tear roll down her cheek. Oh, no. Um, Geralt says, I have so many questions I want to ask you, but I want to ask it to you in the daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells her, Yen is right. It's not sufficient to be destined for each other. Something more is needed. Vicenna says, it's no use. There's no use to even seeing each other in the daylight. She tells him, go to sleep, Geralt. And just between us, Vesemir did not give you that name. Whoa. So the whole time, obviously, it's hinting and dancing around this, but it's clear that Vicenna is Geralt's mom. Whoa. Yes. And so Vicenna puts Geralt to sleep and we move on to our next section. Does she tuck him in? It's not. It's not. Like stuff. Okay. Doesn't apparently she doesn't tell him little Witcher stories. Oh my god! All right, I like the idea of little Witcher stories. It's very cute. Uh, Write a children's book. (gasps) Okay, we're we're gonna (laughs) move on now. Is that okay with you? No, it's not okay. Okay. Um, Yurga and Geralt are now traveling through Rivendell. Mm -hmm. Um, after the area got raided by Nilfgaard. Mm -hmm. Um. Yerga constantly is saying, yeah, it was really devastating for Sodden, but mm. life must go on. Yep. Um, Geralt asks um, Yerga if he's afraid of them, um, mm-hmm. the Nelf Guardians. Yeah, yep. 
And Yurga says, yeah, he is afraid of the Nilfgaardians, but it doesn't really matter because what will be, will be. What mm-hmm. is destined can't be avoided. Uh, Geralt, on his ever-going quest to ask everyone what they feel about destiny, mm-hmm. um, asks Yurga, do you believe in destiny? And Yurga responds, how can I not believe after what I encountered on the bridge? Mm-hmm. Um, at some point in here... He asks Yurga, like, what happened to Visena? Mm. And it's revealed that Visena had followed them for a while. Um, he he tells Geralt, you're cut from the same cloth as that sorceress. Mm. Um, and, like, that apparently Visena had healed Geralt to the point of her own discomfort. Yeah. She uh, had sacrificed a lot. Yeah. Basically almost passed out from trying to heal him so hard and was bleeding out of her nose kind of thing. Um, directly before that, Geralt had asked, you know, you've heard the stories about witchers. How can you want to help me when Mm -hmm. people debate if the witchers are worse than the monsters? Mm -hmm. Um, and Geralt's like, well, and Yurga's like, no, like, I believe you're a good person, basically. Mm -hmm. And in Sodden, we actually revere people that use magic we revere wow. people that are different than us mm-hmm. uh, mostly because the sorcerers and sorceresses who mm-hmm. sacrificed so much for us mm-hmm. um during the battle of sodden mm-hmm. um they stood on the hill and they were the last stand between us and the black forces mm-hmm. um they even sodden the people of sodden um and rivendell named a mountain after the sorcerers that died during the second battle mm-hmm. of sodden um 14 of them died um, what are they called? The 14. 14 mages? No, whatever. They're just the 14 of Sodden. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he also talks about how the townsfolk have a big bonfire on Beltane, mm-hmm. sort of in memorial mm-hmm. for them as well. So this is where Geralt's kind of getting worried that maybe his hallucination had something more to do about like Yennefer and how it it might be connected to Mm -hmm. the 14 who died on the hill. Yep. Um, They erected a monument with the names of the fallen sorcerers. Among the names is Triss Marigold, Mm -hmm. um, who has been mentioned in the books before and also Geralt knew her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there, there are names there that he recognizes several Mm -hmm. people that he had met before. So, the next scene is Geralt climbing to the top of the mountain where the obelisk is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear that the obelisk had to be erected with the help of magic because it's really, really large. Yeah, and the, the hill is very, very steep and rocky. Um, the names of the 14 are carved into the obelisk. Um, Geralt starts remembering the ones he knew, mm-hmm. um, including Triss. He says of Triss like, that he liked her and she liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt then sees a woman approaching barefoot in a gown wearing a garland. Mm-hmm. Um, and Geralt asks, like, why are you here? Who are you here to see? Mm. Um, and the woman responds, the flowers are here for me. Mm. Um, he asks her, who are you? And she responds, don't you know? Mm. I've been dogging you for years. Mm. Geralt now knows it's death. Mm. Death has been following him. Um, and he asks her, how will it happen? How, how will death happen for me? Mm. She says, I will take your hand. 
Geralt says, I was afraid of you until today. You've taken everything from me, even my fear. She asks, why do you fear that last name on the obelisk? Um, are you afraid to speak the last name on that obelisk? Mm-hmm. Um, and Geralt says, I'm not afraid to. Yennefer of Vengerberg. And Geralt says, take me now. And she just responds, no, not this time. And Geralt suddenly wakes up. He's on that hill. He was unconscious. He was unconscious on that hill near the monument. Mm-hmm. Yurga's like, why did you come why, all Why did you run here? up the hill? You're in no state to do this, yeah. by the way. Um, of course you passed out, you idiot. <laughs> and Yurga's, and Geralt's like, hey, Yurga, you said you know all of the names, all of the 14 names on that obelisk. Okay, I'm going to test your knowledge. Which one is the 14th name? And Yurga's like, how <laughs> Yurga is like how dare you insult me and my memory of the 14 by suggesting I don't know the 14th and the 14th is not Yennefer not Yennefer <laughs> Yennefer is still alive and kicking we, yeah we, I, neither one of us Presumably. could remember who the four, who he actually matter. says but it doesn't actually matter it doesn't matter They're it's not, not Yennefer not anyone we know and it's not Yennefer Sorry to that man, but I do not know who that man no is. No idea. Nope. Um, so, Geralt and Yurga are now riding on his cart. Roach is behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, Yurga is still insisting to Geralt on fulfilling his bond to the Law of Surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says there is a kink. He's not going to find anything at home that he doesn't know about because mm-hmm. his wife can't have any more kids. Mm-hmm. But... Would you be open to taking two of my one of the two of my full grown sons? Yeah, yeah. Um so they get into this like discussion about morality. Um like whether Geralt is good or bad and whether he really deserves like to be labeled in those terms. Mm-hmm. This is the point where Yurga is asking, like, you know, what what were you doing on that bridge? Were you doing bad or good? Mm, and mm-hmm. Geralt says, I don't know. I have many doubts. Do you want your sons to have the same doubts that I have? Yeah. Um, and Yurga's like, the fact that you have those thoughts, the fact that you have those doubts mm-hmm. means that you're good because only evil has no doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Yes. So basically, like, Yurga would be happy with one of his sons like mm-hmm. going to become a witcher because yeah. a witcher is a person who saved him yeah yeah but it is enormous sacrifice and they do discuss like is it better or worse to take like a child that you do not know mm-hmm. from you because you don't know that child as well as you know yeah. a full-grown yep. child yeah i don't think there's really a good answer for that um so Geralt's like remarks oh it's fall again like there, there's leaves falling. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of a picturesque um, moment. They are on like a, a river bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and they see suddenly soldiers and a bunch of people trying to get on a ferry. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are trying to cross the river. Mm-hmm. And Geralt's really not sure why. Um, at this point, he's on Roach, I believe. So he's kind of riding up to mm-hmm. see what's going on. Yeah. So... Who does he run into? Who does he run into, John Mark? He runs into Buttercup Dandelion. No, you know, you're calling him Buttercup Dandelion? Well, yeah, because yeah, Buttercup is the more direct translation of his name. But 
Dandelion. We'll just call we him run Dandelion. into Dandelion. He runs into Dandelion because, of course, Dandelion is here. And he's asking Dandelion, like, what the heck is going on? Like, mm-hmm. everyone's trying to flee. Like, and Dandelion's like, don't you know? The Nilfgaardians are invading. Mm-hmm. Um, and Geralt's like, why is everyone freaking out, though? This always happens. Like, there's always, like, war for some mm-hmm. reason or another. People flee, and then they just end up coming back. And Dandelion's like, there's never been a war like this. The, mm-hmm. the Nilfgaardians are moving up. They're assaulting the land. They're leaving no trace, basically. Yeah, they're, they're waging a scorched earth policy and just, just leaving everything a burned husk. Um, and... Yeah, so, like, Dandelion says, like, there's not any motivation. It's not for power and money. The Nilfgaardians seem to be marching just to destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geralt tells Dandelion, I'm going to Sintra. And Dandelion's like, what? Sintra is no more. It's just embers now. Mm. Uh, this Geralt, is news to Geralt. Because they're riding on Roach together, which, by the way, Dandelion does have this aside where he's like, this isn't Roach. It's not the same horse. Yeah, it's a different color. This isn't Roach. And Geralt's like, I name all of my horses Roach. Yeah. Um, and so, like, immediately Geralt, like, does a spit take and, like, tosses Dandelion off Roach. Mm. And he's like, what the hell happened? Tell me everything. Mm. Uh, and Dandelion says, everything was burned to the ground. And Kalanthe is dead. Mm-hmm. Um. There was no siege. There was no one left to fight. They got into the castle within mm-hmm. five days. And once the Nilfgaardians got into the city, everyone was already dead. They'd already killed themselves. Mm-hmm. Kalanthe had even tried to get someone to do it, but the rumor is no one would do it. Mm-hmm. So she ended up flinging herself out of a window mm-hmm. um, onto the barristers. Uh, they all killed themselves. Geralt's like, Dandelion, this is very important. Kalanthe had a granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Her name was Siri. Mm-hmm. What happened? And Dandelion's like, I'm really not sure. But like, even I, even if I did know, I feel like there is no way that anyone could survive. Mm-hmm. There's yep. no way that anyone could survive what happened in Sintra. Um, Geralt's like, okay, let's go. We'll find a boat, get mm-hmm. you across the river. Um, I'm coming with you. And Dandelion's like, I thought that you didn't want to cross with me. And Geralt's like, oh, well, there's nothing for me there's here. There's nothing for me to do over here now, so. So, um, in our next section, Yurga and his wife are reuniting. Yeah. And it's a very... It's um, very cute. Very yeah. cute reunion scene. He's been away for a while. Um, and Yurga's like, look at my cart. I brought my cart back in one piece. The whole cart. Yep. All of the wooden We're spoons rich. and rags and <laughs> We have $100,000 worth of wooden spoons. And uh, his wife asks, Yurga, what are goods to me? You've returned. Oh, Very cute. This is a wholesome family. Um, and Gerald's just kind of standing in the background. Mm-hmm. Not really sure why. Now, this is part of the timeline I can't really put together. Mm-hmm. So he says he's going off with Dandelion. Why is he now suddenly with Yurga? I'm so reasons. confused by this. <laughs> anyway. You're not wrong. I, I, I didn't I, think about that. <laughs> but reasons. Question. I have no clue. But anyway, so Gerald's in the background. We're not questioning how he got there, but mm-hmm. he suddenly decided to go back home with Yurga. Mm-hmm. Maybe Geralt recognized that this law of surprise would bring destiny back to him. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what happened there, but something transpired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Geralt's in the background looking menacing, and his wife is like, 
what is that guy standing there for? Who's the creepy like, dude? He's just, he looks scary. Should I be scared of him? And Jurg is like, no, no, he, he saved me. He's all good. Nonsense. Like, this is Geralt of Rivia. The boys, his sons come up to him. Mm-hmm. The sons that he offered to Geralt and... He's like, oh, you've grown. Like, he's been mm-hmm. away for quite a while. And, you know, teenagers grow really fast. The boys are like, oh, yeah, we were playing in the field with uh, with the girl. And Yurga's like, what, what girl? What girl? Um, and Yurga's wife is like, oh, honey, like, we took in this. Such precious news. We took in this uh, really cute little girl. And she was fleeing from war. And, like, can we the keep The druids her? saved her. Can we keep her, please, 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 can we keep her? And Yurg is like, oh, no. Uh, (laughs) What have I done? And so from out from um, the distance, Mm -hmm. a young girl with mousy blonde hair, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. looks pretty familiar, maybe, comes up and runs. Geralt! (laughs) Oh, my gosh. If you weren't crying during the scene, I don't know what's wrong Uh with you. Um, but Geralt hops off of Roach, goes and reunites with her, and just wraps it's her Siri. in a big bear hug. Yep. Um, and Siri goes, Geralt, you found me. I knew you would. I always knew you would. And she asks, Geralt, am I your destiny? And he says, you're so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And scene. Scene. How does it feel to be done with sort of destiny? I know. Um... Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's very cool to be done with two books in a series. That always feels like an accomplishment because it's like, yes, I'm actually reading the series. You know, ha, 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 look at me. Um, two books down? Because anybody zero. can get through one book. You know, once you, get to the se- once you get through the second book, that's when you're the serious reader of the series. Are you ready to go into, like, the main plot? I... Yeah, I am ready. I'm I'm actually very excited. I've been excited for this for a while. Um there's a lot of things I'm I'm really looking forward to the wild hunt. Um and they uh, they may be not coming for a while and they may be like it may be a thing that like maybe they don't come for a long time. Maybe it's like the dragons in Game of Thrones and that like we have like nine books to get through before we get to them. But I'm really excited for the wild hunt. There's a lot of exciting things to come. Okay. And you get to experience it all yes, for the first yes, time. Well, I, do. I am the jaded <laughs> second time reader. <laughs> the jaded second time reader. Uh, so jaded. I've read some stories three times, though. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm a pretty uh, established Witcher expert. Uh, a, wix- a, a Witcher sommelier? A Witcher. Sure. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a major domo. Major domo? Yeah, it's like the sommeliers of the ser- the servants of the Witcher universe. Oh. Like um, when Geralt has Corvo Bianco, uh, he has a major major domo. Yeah, a major domo that's like his servant that ends up being like the guy that he goes to to do all the things on his house. Oh, okay. So I'm gotcha. the Witcher major domo. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I mean. Now that it feel now that we're done with everything, at least for for the sort of destiny. Um, I mean, I guess we got to have a nightcap to to kind of square off our 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 summary and and our to celebrate moving on to to new things um, and all the <laughs> things that I'm excited for. So yeah, 
I was just laughing because you think we're done or close enough. Okay, I mean, not even not, halfway there. <laughs> we're not even a. You fool! You foolish fool! This isn't even my final form. But yes, let's get to the nightcap portion. So tonight we are drinking in honor of Geralt's like uh, hazy hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Um, we are drinking uh, Firestone Mind Haze IPA um, by Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Yep. Um, because Geralt was very in and out of like a hazy stupor most of the most of the chapter. Dazed and confused, you might mm-hmm. say. A little bit. Um, let me see. Uh, this is a 6.2 ABV. Um, it is made... Uh, I'm looking at the can, um, so there's not much information on it. Um, brewed by the Firestone Walker Brewing Company in Paso Robales, California. Is that height? Robles? I think it's Peso Robles. Oh, I'm probably not pronouncing it Paso Robles. I'm really not sure. Um, So any California listeners, come at us. So shall we crack into this? Sure. Did you say that it was an IPA? It is a hazy IPA. So it is a... um, These are usually uh, done in a New England IPA style, um, which means that they, they stick to less bitter hops. Mm-hmm. Um, and go with like more like citras and uh, I want to say like Simcoe, but I think Simcoe is more of like a hard, like tr- traditional IPA uh, style. So they're usually hazy IPAs are usually uh, unfiltered. Uh, so they, they're cloudy um, and they, they have a much like heavier citrus flavor. So oh, okay. we're going to we're going to experience this one. I don't know. Necess- we've never had this one before, so it's going to be a, an experience. Very nice pour. Why, thank you. I only got like three drops on my pants. <laughs> That's an accomplishment. It is an accomplishment. <laughs> I'm a little worried because I'm probably going to wear these to work tomorrow too. So well, I hope they don't smell like beer. That's fine. Probably. Probably. In my experience, everyone who comes in after Halloween is kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> <in> the <same laughs> situation. They're, they're hung over in one way or another, either from drinking or just from diabetic shock from all the candy. Kind of like all the candy that I've been eating over the past. Oh my gosh, Jalmer. You think I've only had 10 pieces of candy. <laughs> I was estimating. I was being kind. You underestimate my power. Wow, ASMR. Again. Mm. Uh, again, yeah. Again. I'm actually amazed at how quiet pouring a beer into a glass actually is when you're trying to make it make noise. <laughs> I'm like trying to make it make noise so that like there's entertainment of like us actually doing things and not just dead air. We don't do things. Um, but also not make like a whole bunch of foamy mess at the top kind of thing. Um, so what are your, your initial impressions? I mean, obviously Ooh. a lot of fruit. A lot yeah. of juicy notes Mm -hmm. i yeah i think the citra hop is very much in play here hop forward very hop forward um i hear they added more hops to this recently (laughs) i hear they added more hops to this recently just a lot of citrus Mm, mm -hmm. um kind of bursting with citrus i think there might be i think i'd be on the betcha it's citra and chinook Hmm. are probably the two big ones that they're using so when 
when you're talking about a hazy IPA, what does that entail? So hazy literally means that it's cloudy. Like you can't okay. actually see through it. So what that means is that um, when you brew beer, uh, there's a long process of like literally like it's not cooking, it's steeping like you do with tea um, of you take the hot water and you just soak the grains in it. Mm-hmm. You soak the grains in it and you also soak uh, the hops in it okay. as well at the same time. Um, what that does is that leaves a whole bunch of like proteins, um, proteins and organic compounds in the actual liquid. Um, normally, uh, they then take that, um, depending on what they're making with it. Sometimes they add more sugar to it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they add additives like juice or flavoring, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at that point, they then add yeast to it and put it in a fermenter. Okay. Um, after all of that process is done, there's a bunch of like cloudy gunk in the beer. Um, the cloudy gunk is usually like proteins, organic compounds that came out of the hops, um, yeast bits. Um, and a lot of times people for like a, like a, like a major beer company, um, that's not something that they, they deemed appealing Um, so, and what they usually do is they usually filter that out. Gotcha. Um, so this is basically a beer that hasn't been filtered in any way. Oh, cool. Um, there's, and it, it creates a lot more of like a mouthfeel. Um, and like, uh, it adds a lot of flavor to it because there's a lot of flavor in those little like bits that are floating around. Um, but it, once again, it makes it look less clear. Um, right. and may, might not, might not look as like traditionally beer, like, you know, you don't see it on a Coors Light commercial kind of thing. They advertise how clean and crisp it is kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, should we try it? Should we taste? I think we should. And so, uh, cheers. Hmm. Okay. It's, all- it's, it's a little bit more muted. Um, this is actually definitely more of a traditional IPA, um, rather than like a new England style. Um, but it's still very citra heavy and it's not, I can tell that they had a little bit of like a traditional, like cascade hop in it. Yeah. Um, that like a, a normal traditional IPA would have. Um, but it's not, um, it's not a very strong level. They probably only used a little bit of cascade. Um, and I think, so one of the things a lot of places like to do with IPAs, because at least for a long time, the trend was like, let's make it as hoppy as we can. Uh, they do a thing called dry hopping, which is where you take uh, you take some fresh hops of whatever you want to get, right. of whatever flavor profile you want, stick them in literally like a, stick them literally like in a, in a, a tube. Um, and then you just run the beer through it, mm-hmm. um, like right before you bottle it kind of thing. Um, so they're not cooked in with the beer. It's literally just like squished through. Yeah. Uh, it's like squished through the hops. It adds a lot of like hop flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, they normally do that with like strong IPAs. This is not one of them. It's not, it's not really super aggressive with the, with the bitter hoppiness of it. Um, so it still kind of falls into that like hazy kind of drinkable session IPA. But I wouldn't put it in like a New England IPA, which I've been really, really enjoying a lot of lately. I definitely like that it's a little more mellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the the New England styles and styles like this usually end up being, like I said, more drinkable and more approachable because they're not like 
it's not like licking the underside of a lawnmower. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of yeast profile either. No. Um, but that's not surprising because you usually don't use like a, usually for like an IPA, you usually use like a standard, just like ale, ale yeast. It doesn't need to be anything crazy. It doesn't need to provide like a whole bunch of like flavor profile. Um, you're not going to use like a Belgian strain or anything like that. That'll yeah. give you like strong banana flavors. I really like strong yeast profiles yeah, because yep. I love like Belgian beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this to me is a little bit more mellow and tame than mm-hmm. what I'm used to. Yep, yep. But that's not a bad thing. I don't no, think you no. always need something that's going to kick you in the face or like mm-hmm. be so bubbly that like your tongue tingles or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yep. This is more of a like su- Sunday afternoon beer, mm-hmm. which we yep. are recording on a sunday so we are recording on a sunday afternoon it is still afternoon thank you daylight savings time it's not quite evening yet (laughs) even though this is the midnight book club we're recording in the afternoon despite the fact that it is pitch black outside thank you once again daylight savings time (sighs) (sighs) well now that we have our drink Mm -hmm. should we move on i think we should uh move on to our our last call Saved rounds, uh, final parting shots, whatever, what have you. Right. Well, I guess, like, where should we start? I think that starting with um, really, like, Geralt's tour of running away from Destiny Mm, mm -hmm. would be a good thing. This is kind of the greatest hits of that, isn't it? It's sort of the reckoning with Mm -hmm. Geralt finally running away i mm-hmm. mean like finally having to come to terms with what he's run away from yeah yep so the first question i have is this um there are a ton of intentional inconsistencies mm. in this chapter so if we're there's a ton of what now intentional inconsistencies um in this chapter and i think my first question to you is why do you think Geralt was pushing the law of surprise on Yurga. Um, you know, that's a really good question. And I was kind of wondering with that myself. Um, and the only thing I could think of was that I don't know. I think he kind of felt like it, it felt bad to ask for money from this guy. Hmm. Um, because it, and this is something that we have seen with Geralt a bit. That like he doesn't like, he doesn't like the idea of saving people for money. Um, that's not his thing. If someone contracts him, mm-hmm. to gives him a contract and says, "I will pay you X amount of dollars to kill this monster," you know, um, will you do it? And he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it for Y amount of dollars," kind of thing. Um, he's okay with that because it's, it's a contract, you know, that it's not, people don't necessarily die as a direct result of, of it, of him not, the monsters do. Um, but like if he doesn't do it, people don't directly die. Oftentimes like they they end up being around and like they are a menace and end up killing people in, in, but he's not directly responsible for saving these people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Geralt likes to so as a result like in the in a situation where it's like okay I saved your life now give me give me money I think doesn't isn't palatable for Geralt 
um, I think it kind of goes against a little bit of his moral code. So when he says, I invoke the law of surprise, I think that's kind of a way of saying like, well, if I'm supposed to get money from this, awesome, I'll get money. If I'm supposed to get, you know, just like a good firm handshake and like a, a mug of cold beer, all right, I guess that's enough. You know what I mean? But it, because at the end of the day, I saved this guy's life. Yeah, but the law of surprise can be so much more than a set amount of money. It can. It can. And I, I think like that maybe... Life means so much more than a set amount of money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Geralt uses that specifically, because then he's also not attaching a monetary value to someone's life. He's, he's, say, he's not saying, like, I believe that you are worth $500. You know what I mean? Because I've saved you. It, it's it, Because it, I saved you... Therefore, I think that you owe me dollar amount that I have ascribed to your life. Yeah. Well, so one thing I thought is maybe he's trying to circumvent destiny a little bit. That here. that also may be a possibility. Maybe and he's I, trying to like fool destiny mm-hmm. in the same way. Like, I hate to bring up Final Destination again, <laughs> but the whole it's, time it's kind of it's kind of here though. Like the whole time you're trying to circumvent death, right? You're mm-hmm. trying to cheat death. So could Geralt be trying to like trick Destiny in a way, like saying, "Hey, look, yeah, I hey, have this look, other I got this other kid." <laughs> yes. So could he be trying to trick Destiny, or could he know that by invoking this, he would in some way be reunited with Siri? I think that may also be kind of a part of it. Is that it may be Geralt kind of saying like. Well, if there really is a destiny and if it really wants mm-hmm. that th- this to happen, then I guess if I invoke destiny again, you know, give me a sign. You know, oh, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if I keep if I if I try it again, I guess that first time, I don't think it was real. You know, this wasn't meant to be, et cetera, et cetera. If I play this card again and she shows up. All right, then I know it's definitely a thing. That's that's a good point. I actually like that because it ties back to the end where we're questioning why did Geralt say there was nothing left for me on this side of the river to dandelion and then show up at Yerga's mm-hmm. if he didn't think something would happen. Yes, yes. And it, it may be a little bit of like he assumed that Siri was dead. He may also kind of feel a little bit of guilt now. Like, okay, I had Siri. Um, you know, she may be dead now. Mm-hmm. I guess I definitely need to pay off this destiny person, you know? Yeah. They're probably, destiny is probably kind of demanding a child. So I guess maybe Yurga. And then, and then Yurga even makes the comment of like, well, my wife is well beyond, you know, childbearing age. So, well, she, he doesn't say that. He says she can't have kids. Oh, that was anymore. it. I apologize. He actually not... calls her like my rosy cheeked young wife. So oh, yeah, yeah. There's some yeah. sort of like, she can't have happen. kids. She can't have yeah, any more yeah. kids. So he knows there's not like that kind of surprise waiting. And Geralt still invokes the law of surprise at that point. So well, he, he doesn't know that at the, that point. Oh, he didn't? No. Okay. He, they only talk about that after. Okay. So it could be anything mm-hmm. when he invokes it. Interesting. Um. Yeah. Like, so if we're talking about the first hallucination mm-hmm. where Geralt sees Yennefer and Beltane, um, what are your first impressions of that hallucination? What do you think that Geralt's subconscious is trying to work through? Um, so I think one of the things that his subconscious is trying to work through is Yennefer being the only person to understand him 
is uh, to be the only person who understands him and still wants to be with him. Um, because we see, so this is a subconscious reckoning with a bunch of events. Um, we see, so in, in that it's, it's kind of a dream interpretation then. Uh, so that would be like his subconscious is telling him that he, he, he's at a Beltane festival, which he associates with Yennefer because he knows that she was born around Beltane. So it's kind of always been like her thing. Um, so it's important and meaningful that he would meet her at a Beltane festival. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also in the first interaction with the with the woman that he's flirting with in the very beginning of the interact of the of the sequence. Um, he then, you know, she sees his face and realizes that he is something of a monster, right? Um, and runs away in terror. Basically, um, this is definitely an internalized subconscious feeling of humans never accepting him. Yeah. And only ever once they realize the truth about him mm-hmm. running away in terror. Um, and this is this is something that he has experienced and something that he has seen in his whole life um, because they're constantly reminding him that he's not, you know, one of them kind of thing. Um, as a result, Yen shows up and they interact. She doesn't run away in terror. Um, so her not running away in terror is kind of his own subconscious saying like, look, Yen, the one person that you've been with that wasn't with you out of curiosity and fascination may actually be, you know, she is the one that I want, you know, we subconscious and I want to make work and want to see work. Um, and this might be how a conversation with her would go. Interesting. And I mm-hmm. think his subconscious is consistently working through those threads that he has not been examining for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy the specificity, like I said, of him saying that it's been a year, two months, how many ever days, like, because it gives us a timeline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been more than a year. One week since you looked at me. Da-da. Sorry. I mean, he, he's been holding a torch for yen this oh yeah whole time. yeah i mean it, almost two years at this point no it's been over a year over so a year it's been yep. like a almost a year and a half mm-hmm. and since the shard of ice and yep. since gerald found out that she was two-timing mm-hmm. um two-timing is kind of an old word but whatever it, it is but it kind of works here too because she was she was playing them both against each other really so but anyways poor eastrid mm-hmm. poor gerald yep felt yep. bad for them both yeah um, but anyway, so it's been a year and a half since they saw each other mm-hmm. last. But still, Gerald's working through this because Yennefer is the most significant person in his life. Mm-hmm. Except yep. maybe Dandelion. But Dandelion's like kind of... Yeah, he's yeah. just kind of like the college roommate that just never went away. And we've we've described him that way before. Um, yeah. And so like, yeah, your college roommate is fun. But like, you're not going to like build a life with them. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, you know continue on living together and raise kids together like that's not a not generally a thing you do with your college roommate well, um so Geralt is working through all of these like mm-hmm. different things with his relationship with Yennefer one that he still feels so strongly about her mm-hmm. like she's still the person he thinks about like yep, yep. constantly but also in how like they end and how they constantly break each other's hearts like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. constant 
back and forth. And that's when Yen says to him, like, you know how it would end, even if I wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. how it would end. Yeah. And like, they know that they keep hurting each other, but at the same time, they can't stop. Yeah. Every time they reunite, it's like this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they can see that it's going to end Mm -hmm. in a really bad way, but they still keep gravitating toward Mm -hmm. each other like magnets. Yep. I think the other thing that's really interesting, like, is, like, the conversation between them about, um, like, them being outsiders, like, Mm -hmm. them defying nature is so interesting. Yeah, yep. Um, I just love how that one long quote about, like, here we are at Beltane, talking and celebrating mm-hmm. about rebirth yeah and, yep. and we neither, can't do that neither one of us can actually do that we, yeah. we defy nature even mm-hmm. though we extend the boundaries of nature we defy nature we can't even do the most simple thing there is for a human to do which is reproduce mm-hmm. so i thought that was really interesting because it ties them together in this category of people that can't be normal they can't mm-hmm. go and just yep. live among the people that are celebrating mm-hmm. down the hill. Yeah. They are constantly like defying that. Mm-hmm. What did, what did you make of her long comment about that? Um, I mean like, yeah, I, I think it's definitely, so it's also kind of a weird thing in Anse's universe um, that like, Female magic users are always in most history, mythology, and fantasy settings are usually the most heavily tied to nature. Right. They are most heavily they are most heavily tied to nature and they're the most heavily like considered a part of the the rebirth process in a festival like this. This seems to be very much modeled after Aestor. Uh, the the pagan festival of fertility that happens in the early spring around the spring solstice. Mm -hmm. It seems to kind of be what they're modeling after. Usually very heavily tied to like witches and female fertility. Um, You called it Aestor? Aestor. Um, E-A-S-T-O-R. So that is the pagan celebration it's of fertility. generally yeah and i'm i'm shaky on the on the the pagan mythology here i didn't but, know about this so yeah. this is actually really interesting. oh okay i, I apologize i've, no, I no, I've never please, talked about it before explain. um so yeah it, it aestor is a is a pagan holiday mm-hmm. based around the spring solstice mm-hmm. um celebrating rebirth um and celebrating fertility um they historically had very large orgies um and the whole thing culminated with a celebration, usually around a big bonfire. Um, it's also kind of the the basis for a lot of the um, like the Wicker Man uh, type like festivals. Midsummer, I think, is a little bit of a later festival yeah. um, that happens yeah. usually a little bit more around the summer solstice um, or the summer. It would be the summer equinox. Yeah, the equinox. Um, because it usually yeah, happens yeah. around late July in yeah. Sweden. Um, but it's kind of a similar thing that it's 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 not just like fertility. It's also like prosperity for crops and things of that nature. Very heavily tied to femininity and female magic users in mythology and uh, fantasy. 
Very interesting. Um, Ansei does a really interesting thing, and he completely severs female magic users from that. Um, that they are because they're not able to have children, um, they are completely removed from that celebration. Um, which is not, and I don't know necessarily why he did that. Um, I think I have a theory, but go on. Okay. Okay. I, I, and I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it may have to do with some things that we find out later in the series. It doesn't, but I have a theory. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I why he does that, I, I I don't know, but it is interesting as a, a a means of character building and a means of disconnecting them from the culture that they are constantly throughout the series. We see sorcerers and magic users going to the protection and vanguard of um, humans and non magic users, right? Um, but also seeming to not be a part of the culture and of the world of humans. And actually reviled and hated. Yes. In, some in many instances. places, yeah. they become basically the outcasts who are chased from society and actually murdered. Because they're powerful, but at the same time, that's frightening to yes. humans. Yes, yes. Having that power is mm-hmm. frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, I think, I think it may have seemed weird um if they still had this tie back to like a very large festival that everybody participates in um and is a very big cultural thing so it yeah. may have been something that he had to had to cut as a as a sort of just like a logical flow or um it may also be intentional um but uh, yeah it, it's an interesting choice to me um, in a lot of ways. Hmm. So what's your theory? My theory as we have talked about high cost magic versus low cost magic. Mm, so very I much can't so. explain this because sorcerers are thought to be immune from this. But the idea is that you have to sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And for women, I think that unfortunately... Um, we are very much tied to reproductive facilities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, so in this universe, how magic works is that it doesn't come from nowhere. It's yes. not like yep. you're creating the energy, you're pulling it from something. Yes. So I feel like when you're making that transformation, I think that's why they sacrifice their fertility mm-hmm. is that it is something they can pull from yes so yep. i feel like it does have something to do with high cost magic does and, that make and i've sense? yes i've always kind of read it very much that way as well um but i think that a lot of that was me drawing from the tv show um and so i haven't necessarily right. seen a lot of the, the lore and the backstory yet in the in the books they go into it more in depth but magic is drawn from somewhere Mm -hmm. so i think that's why like when you talk about sorceresses Mm -hmm. like who are also described by anse as more powerful than Mm -hmm. their male contemporaries yes yes um that's why i think they sacrifice their fertility in exchange for this power so um i was gonna say and we can get even a little bit more into the weeds on like maybe even a little bit of the icky weeds as to like the actual nuts and bolts of like biology and sacrifice in, in magic that if you think about like, if a, if a man is sacrificing his fertility, he has like 
millions and millions of sperm that he can make constantly um, at any given notice. So for him to sacrifice that, it's not a lot. The you know the power of the magic comes in the sacri- the the weight of what you are sacrificing. That's a good and the, point. and that's usually where the term high cost magic comes in. Mm-hmm. That it's more powerful because you're sacrificing. That's something that's more valuable. Right. So you have this guy. You have guy sorcerer A, mm-hmm. who fertility seems to be where they draw their power from. We'll we'll go with that. So, <laughs> yes. um, uncomfortable conversation alert. Um, Ooh. so. <laughs> so parents if you want to explain the birds and the beads to your kid here's how to do it um you have sorcerer guy a who draws his they draw their power from fertility so he has these millions and millions of sperm that he makes every day um that pretty much die on their own anyways that he may then be turning around to sacrifice for the power of his magic usage there's not a lot of cost in that Right. Because he's making them anyways. There's millions of them. And they are going to die anyways. You have female magic user (laughs) B over here who has female gametes. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to not use like historically misogynistic language here. Um, But a, a much more limited a limited number of reproductive opportunities, we'll say. Mm -hmm. um, I got one egg. (laughs) Okay, Angela. (laughs) We've been watching a lot of of 90 Day Fiance lately. Um, uh, There's a lady on there named Angela who's pretty, pretty well over the age that people should probably, any people should probably be having kids. No, no. Um, but that's a catchphrase of hers. I got one egg. I uh, so, it. So you have you have female magic user who has limited numbers of reproductive abilities that um, you know your body generally generates a one egg a month, and when it's gone, it kind of it's a whole process of getting rid of it. Um, and I apologize to any of our female listeners if I have offended any of you in any way. Um, you have offended me greatly. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it. You know what? Um, but you have this big thing that has a lot of like reproductive energy in it that if you are then in turn sacrificing for magic spell number 35, there's a lot more energy and sacrifice to be taken from that than the millions and millions of sperm that, you know, male magic user can can just freely throw away, you know, whenever they want kind of thing. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. I like that theory because I've sort of been stumped on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, like what makes sorceresses different than sorcerers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is it so rare that like Geralt's mom, who was a sorceress, could reproduce? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the idea that one yes it is much more of a sacrifice to um when you have a slower process or when you have like something that you don't produce as often Mm -hmm. it makes Mm -hmm. sense that you would be sacrificing Mm -hmm. that in some way um the other thing that i thought of while you were talking was that um 
sorceresses are in this permanent state of youth Mm -hmm. by circumventing the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. Could they also be cutting off that natural process? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, And a lot of it, like a lot of the idea of, of this concept kind of, I think comes very much from like uh, you look at the, the ideas of, of um, any other sacrifice, you know, if your significant other or spouse um, decides to give up a very large career opportunity because you can't work in the location that they would have to move to, would you see value in that mm. versus them saying, oh, you know, I left work five minutes early today so that I could spend some extra time with you? Where would you see more value in? Yeah. I, yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we got on a, on a tangent there. Um, Geralt's mommy issues. Well, so I want to talk about the Kuwante conversation because in order we talk about Kuwante first. Okay. Yep. Um. So, question one: Why does everyone refer in Geralt's subconscious to Pavetta having had a son? Um, that I don't know. I don't um, And I've been, it. I've been trying to piece that. The only thing I can think of. So I think it, since this is once again, Geralt's subconscious, we're digging around in him trying to reconcile the fact that if he takes this child, he is going to basically inflict unknown horrors upon it. I mean, not himself, not but, himself, but by but, the lifestyle, but by the lifestyle and the only way that he can reconcile that is with if it's a male child. Interesting. Even even in his own subconscious. That's a good point. I also feel like that's sort of the default that a lot of people consider. Yes. Like, yep. you need to have a boy. Yes. And yeah. I think that's also a part of it as well, is that, like, because we, we do learn that Geralt never did go back to Sintra, um after after the Dooney Pavetta feast hurricane. A question of price. Yeah, yes. after a question of price. So this is his subconscious working out how this encounter would have would have gone down. Right. Um, so as a result, one of the problems of our society um, is usually the default assumption and the what what our subconsciouses consider to be default settings for humans. Okay. So like the idea being that like the default subconscious the default accepted subconscious setting for a human let's say you were building a character in a video game from your subconscious considering what the default settings would be would be male generally based on our societal expectations and the way we are conditioned um, yeah, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying that that's a good thing by any means. Um, it's kind of one of the ways we come up with inherent racism and inherent sexism is that we assume that like there are defaults in the world and these are them. Um, there are defaults that are constructed by our society. Yes, yes, I, that's a better way of phrasing it. I like I it's apologize. not like a default that occurs in nature. Yes, it's yes. a default that's created by a system. Yes, because we ultimately realize we ultimately learn that the world doesn't that the the world and the universe does not have defaults. 
Right. That's not actually how it works. That's something created by us. That's something created by humans. Um, but as a result, Geralt's idea of the default setting of this child would be male. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though he's already met Siri. Yes, actually. Um, and it also may be a little bit of Geralt trying to reconcile with the idea that Siri is a girl. Um, and maybe kind of trying to compartmentalize that idea and maybe like boxing out once again the 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 thought of subjecting this lifestyle onto a child because it's right. it's something that he didn't have a choice in um and the only way that he he can't reconcile the idea of subjecting someone else to this without their choice and he may have to do that and the only way that he can handle that is by completely boxing out the idea of siri you have some really good points tonight. You're actually on fire. Oh, thank you. Um, I want to get to the Colante and Gerald's conversation, though, because this is really like heavy hitters. Like, There's a lot in this chapter. Like, I it's... absolutely love the dynamic between Gerald and Colante. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely do, too. Even in a hallucination where I do feel like there's something mystical about it. Like, mm, because mm-hmm. like at the end, like... Colante says, I think this is the last time we'll ever talk. Yeah, yeah. So there's something prophetic. There's something like, I feel like Colante is kind of present in this conversation. Yeah, so I I don't. Gerald's memory of her. Yeah, and I don't. So I don't think that this is any sort of, I I don't know that there's any truth to this or any sort of basis that I have on this, but I I love the idea. And I kind of just want to believe that this is what's happening is that, these are two separate hallucinations that Calante had hmm. and Geralt had at separate points. Um, and they kind of like meet in the middle um, and just sort of experience it. Um, I, I did kind of steal that idea from an episode of Futurama a little bit. Um, there's an episode where like uh, Fry ends up in his mom, one of his mom's memories and he actually like, he realizes like, Oh, I didn't have this memory cause I couldn't have been here. And then, he realizes, oh, no, this is my mom's. And he has a conversation with his mom for the last time kind of thing. So I, I kind of stole the idea a little bit. But I like that being the case, that this is actually also Calante's hallucination at somewhere or some point along the line, maybe in her fever dream while she's, you know, coming close to death. Um, and they're actually talking with each other. I would love that, too. I think there's so much of Calante in this conversation. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, I, I just love everything about this conversation, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even this conversation they have about like abortion rights. A little bit. Yep. Where like Geralt basically says, we won't even talk about like the choice of a woman to terminate a pregnancy because that is unquestionably the right of a woman. Yeah. Yep. And I was like. Go on, say <laughs> you are a pro-choice champion. You tell him, on say. Oh my gosh, <laughs> love on say our feminist hero. Um, I did really like Kwante's point about selection. Um, like she constantly like is talking with Geralt about the risks of being mm-hmm. a witcher and becoming a witcher in mm-hmm. the trial of the grasses. But also, um, she's talking when Geralt's like, I don't know if I want to subject a child to this. Mm -hmm. She's like, everything is like 
a selection. Yes, everything you know? is a selection. Um, like death selects, mm-hmm. like war selects, famine selects. Once again, we get into very heavily into. Anse has definitely studied some biology at some point, <laughs> um, because even in in evolutionary theory, you you don't refer to you know uh, you re- everything is a selective pressure. Um, and it's used that way to actually refer to that it is selecting for a specific attribute and a specific genetic trait. Yes. Um, that when that death is a selective pressure. Um, if you have a bunch of lizards with short toes, um, that can't climb up a tree and escape from a bird, uh, you know, a, a ground dwelling bird, um, they are selected against because they all get eaten. So the lizards with long toes are able to climb up the trees and don't get eaten by the bird. They are not select that. So that, that, that death selects for the long toed lizards, um, saying that like they are the, the, it, it, it imparts a little bit too much intentionality to it, but there's still like a, a selective pressure and there's always those selective pressures are always present everywhere. And what's great about death, even though it's scary, is that it selects in its equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a lot by chance. And Absolutely. that's kind of what Kalante is saying. Yeah. Is that like, there is a chance in everything. Yeah, yeah. There's always a chance that you might die. So Existing by... itself is a risk. Right, exactly. And so when Kalante says like, it's kind of like you are running for the, from this mm-hmm. because you are afraid. And like, I think that's the, first time that Geralt's admitting to himself that he's afraid of this like yes. he's afraid yep. of both death and subjecting a child to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes this so great like yeah. this conversation yep. like it makes you feel kind of sad that there weren't further conversations yeah between yes and yes yeah there's a lot of meat here yeah um I do want to like briefly touch on the Pavetta and Dooney thing mm. that Malsack mentioned. Yeah, actually, because I had that question too. So Go ahead. the only thing that um, really happens here is Geralt asks Malsack, why did Dooney and Pavetta die? And Malsack responds, they were traveling back from Skellige, which is mm-hmm. a series of islands, to mm-hmm. Sintra. But they didn't have their child with them. Mm-hmm. What would compel Pavetta to not have her child with her when she could not be separated from the child. Mm, mm-hmm. What do you think at this point? That's actually one I can't make sense of. Um, and I, the only thing I can think of is, and, and I had this question when we came through the second time, it dawned on me. I was like, okay, this is Geralt's subconscious. He doesn't actually know how Pavetta and Dooney disappeared. Um, I didn't even think about that, but that's so yes. true. So this may this may just be his subconscious trying to fill in the gaps of, you know, this may be just be his subconscious trying to fill in the gaps of, I don't actually know how Dooney and Pavetta disappeared, but all I know is that they're not there anymore and Siri was not with them. There is a prophetic nature to this because that is indeed how Pavetta and Dooney died. Is it? Okay supposedly so here's the other thing too that i actually just thought of is the fact that mausik is able to communicate 
like in different manners through well we see it through breadcrumbs but i'm assuming that he does have some sort of druids in this world are very much uh so they are not high cost magic users because Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that they do are like nature magic that actually like is facilitated by the existence of the world around it um which is very interesting to see that they, they exist within a world of high cost magic users um it's a really interesting dynamic and I think we might need to touch on it a little bit heavier some other time. Um, But usually one of the attributes that they have is like some sort of telekinesis or I'm sorry, not telekinesis, telepathy or um, just being able to communicate in to being able to communicate with like non-living things, communicate in different manners yeah um they they specifically talk about him in the last chapter uh where they brought him Mausak in to to speak with the trees because he could speak with the trees because he was a druid um i'm also wondering if this wasn't this whole sequence wasn't Mausak trying to get a message to Geralt. huh that's a really good theory mm-hmm. also I which did... may explain yeah why uh Kalante seems to be so active in this and seems to know things that dream subconscious Geralt wouldn't know. That's interesting. I also, um, one point I wanted to um, like get across was that the whole thing about the 10 children or the Mm -hmm. group of children running, Mm -hmm. I thought was um, Geralt subconscious's way of like um, representing the risks of Mm. witchers Mm -hmm. Um, because they say like how many like Kalante asks how many in ten have yeah you know die or have these horrible side effects yeah and he, they end up saying like three three or out, four of out of ten yep. so like if you see that manifestation of ten children mm-hmm. it's worse because yeah. it's kind of what you said about the the problem with the monkey yes yep like where there's so many that you almost don't you don't you don't feel the gravity of the death of one monkey beyond once you have more than you know a hundred monkeys but even hearing like a number doesn't mm-hmm. sound that big to you yes unless you it's just numbers it. on a page but you see 10 children playing in the street oh wow that's 10 kids you know that's not just you know oh 10 you know 10 is just a number right but when you have when you have an actual like physiological or uh, you know psychological weight to it um it it, it adds a, a lot more meaning and telling Geralt Pick one. Pick one that yes. you think might die. <laughs> yeah. Pick one that Pick might one. not survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a lot. That, that's kind of what Destiny is asking him to do. Mm-hmm. So on to Geralt's mommy issues. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh. Do uh, we have time to delve into that tonight? I almost don't know. <laughs> We're coming up on two hours here, uh, at least in recording time. So, um, But, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a good bit to unpack here, so... So we don't realize it's Geralt's mom right away. Not right away. Um, it starts really slowly. First, we think it's just a healer slash sorceress. But the mm-hmm. whole time, Geralt's like really afraid that this person might find out something. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we find out, it's like a big reveal. But it does explain so much of why Geralt is this way. Mm-hmm. So what are your impressions of Geralt's mom and what, what do you think it says about how Geralt like turned out? So I, 
it's a really interesting dynamic. And I think that like, I, I do really like Geralt's mom. Um, because like, we do see her as this really caring, compassionate, you know, healer, um, who I, I think it's really, she's really interesting. Um, I think one of the, one of the big thing, one of the big questions I had out of this, and I kind of got the impression it's not something that was directly stated and it's not something that really has been put into words in any way, but I, especially after the, during this interaction, and I don't think it's something that Geralt has really felt or seen up until this point, because I think his mom up until this point was just a kind of like a semi faceless entity, uh, you know, sort of like the, the adults from like the peanuts cartoons where like she kind of exists at some point, but he sees this, this, strong tenderness from her and i think Geralt may sort of resent it a little bit um because he he and maybe this is imparting and reading too deeply into things um but i feel like he may resent the idea that she has tenderness and she has compassion for literally everyone but him or at least not emotional compassion um, because, you know, she is this, she's described as this great healer who has a, you know, who has a, a, you know, a, a drive in her heart to, to be healing to everyone. But then why didn't she have room for him? Hmm. Yeah. It's almost worse if your mom ends up being like a very compassionate yes. person that yes. cares deeply about people. <clears throat> Um, I think like his interaction with Visena is very telling because, mm-hmm. um, I feel like this is where Geralt gets his good heart. I yeah, mean, it, it definitely is like, um, and we, we see that same compassion for other people in, and I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, Unge, Yurga, Yurga, Yurga even draws attention to it. He even calls out and says, you're cut from the same cloth that she is. You know, she, you were, you came to save me at high personal cost, just like your mother is doing for my, for you and the people in this, this, uh, this logging camp. And I think that what Vizena ends up saying with like, you know, when Geralt wants to see her face in the sunlight, Mm -hmm. when he wants to ask her that question, he knows that, nothing more is going to come of it. He knows that he's not going to get everything he wants out of her because there's too much damage, so much pain done there. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that Vizena ends up doing this service to him sort of mirrors the hallucination he had about yet. Yes, yes, yep. They're both trying to spare that hurt, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to accept that. Yes, yep. Um, but overall I I felt like maybe, and and I don't know how close this is to the actual truth, but I think the fact that Vicenna was able to have Geralt was a miracle in some way. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've kind of been wondering that, um, I do have one theory on it and it kind of draws from my previous, my previous conversation on, you know, the, the cost of magic for women in this, in this universe, um, I kind of feel like she may have stopped using magic 
for a time and as a result stopped sacrificing. Because of her lack of sacrifice, she was able to get pregnant. Um, and that may be sort of the, the, it, it falls into it. I don't know that there's a lot of metaphor there and maybe there is, maybe there's not, maybe there's history with her that we don't know. Um, but it may just be a cold logical explanation for as to like how she was able to have a child, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. The other theory or possibility is the the star wars prequel idea that oh well there no there never was a father and you got pregnant by the force magically and it is a child of destiny who has been foretold um and there may be some more of that in the in the greater lore of the witcher universe um but maybe maybe we'll find out more later i'm i'm not seeing any indication on your face that you know anything anything more beyond what we experience here though so my question is what if destiny works both ways Mm, mm -hmm. like what if because time in the witcher universe like our own is we we perceive time as linear Mm -hmm. but what if it isn't Mm -hmm. entirely linear one of are you saying Geralt is his own grandpa kind of Um, but one of the the things that people say about time later on, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler is Mm -hmm. time is a snake eating its own tail. Huh? Okay. Um, so the idea that time is not actually linear, it's just the way that we experience it. Mm -hmm. So what if destiny is working backwards and that's why the Senate was able to get pregnant Mm. because Geralt is a big part. So yeah, because yeah, because Siri has such destiny about her, Geralt has to exist in order for him to be there to facilitate that destiny. Exactly. Interesting. Hmm. What if? What if? Time travel. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Anyway, I thought that his interaction with Vicenna was really interesting. Mm. I I like that it was revealed that oh, like Vicenna was the person who gave. Geralt's name Mm -hmm. it wasn't from Vesemir even though Vesemir is very much his father figure Mm -hmm. um the idea that there was some love and compassion there there Mm -hmm. was just it was unable to be expressed in staying around forever yeah yeah and the destiny reunites people who are meant to be Mm. destined and again Mm -hmm. Geralt here echoes um there is more needed than just destiny Mm -hmm. it has to be something more Mm -hmm. So what is that something more? What if the hidden element is love? Oh, God. Sorry, I went all uh, interstellar. interstellar on us. Okay. <laughs> Which I love that movie, but that is a really what dumb line. The missing ingredient is love. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump to Dandelion telling Geralt and filling in Geralt mm. on the uh, the political dynamics of Mm -hmm. what is happening so just to recap Nilfgaard is going northward Mm -hmm. they're marching they're destroying everything in their path Nilfgaard is Germany in 1940 yeah (laughs) and I think I think that is actually pretty much exactly who they're modeled off of um what do you think of Nilfgaard because I know you've been exposed to them in other mediums but just give me your overall impression so I so based on my so I'm I'm pulling in from the pulling in from the video games here too. What I what I feel about Nilfgaard is obviously it's 
I mean, it's it's very much basically just modeled after Germany in 1930. 1940 was when they invaded Ish. Poland. Was it 40? They invaded Poland in 1940. I've never been good at the exact dates. So yeah, they're, they're very much a, a large imperialistic uh, war machine um, that's kind of just marching across, you know, the, the continent. Oh, it is called the continent, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's also, I've always kind of felt like Nilfgaard was looking for something. Mm. Um, that it, it never has felt like, because, based on the little bit of, so the geopolitics for me in this in this series are very hard and very dry, and I kind of don't care about them. But I know it is important. I know so it's important, and them. I should care about them, but I to some extent kind of don't. Um, it doesn't feel very strategic. Um, the way they're the way they are traversing, who they're attacking, um, the way they're behaving, um, it feels more like they're looking for something. Um, and I don't know if that's based on anything or it's just based on my limited understanding of like what's currently happening in the world, in the continent. I think they are looking for something, but in addition, it's a war of dominance, right? But, but here's the thing is that when you, when you conquer a, when you are an invading force and you conquer an area, mm-hmm. when you take control of it, you then levy it as your own resources. Okay. When you wage a scorched earth policy, the reason usually people did that historically was so that when the when the region was given back to the other power, they couldn't use the resources there. So salted earth is the term used for it. And the reason was was because when the Romans marched through an area, they would pour salt in the fields so that crops could not grow. The reason they didn't want crops growing was that when they turned around and pulled back out of the area, they didn't want the presiding and and the people who lived there to be able to gain power again and take care of themselves to become a threat again. Um, And that's kind of what Nilfgaard does. Yeah, and and you definitely see a little bit of that. But, like, it's still kind of in this regard from... And the reason that policy in warfare kind of stopped in a lot of ways is because it... Once again, it's more useful to be an occupying power and levy the the occupies... I don't think that's the right word, but for resources, um, you levy taxes against them. Um, you, 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 you conscript their, their, their men into your army. Um, if you kill everyone and destroy and burn the entire, burn the entire land to the ground, they can't then provide you with food, money, manpower, to continue to gain momentum and wage your war. We'll see what Nilfgaard does later. Yeah, and it like but I, just I maybe your initial impressions. I may be analyzing that a little too hard. Um, well, what Dandelion says, the important bit of this is Dandelion says this isn't like ordinary wars. Yeah, so one and, of the and things, that, that stands out to me. One of the things that Geralt says is like, oh, this happens all the time. Like there is some sort of strife between two neighboring princes. Mm-hmm. 
and one of them like declares war on another and then people leave they flee and then they come back because it it's over fast yeah what this is establishing is what Nilfgaard is doing is not ordinary war it's not business as usual yes it is different it's a different kind of war and that's what dandelion is trying to get across Mm -hmm. one of the major reasons is that Sintra is completely gone now mm-hmm. like it is the first kingdom to have fallen to Nilfgaard basically yeah, yep. so they marched in killed everyone and now Sintra is a metaphor for Poland aren't they I don't know that for sure <laughs> but it does co- sort of seem like the first thing that's mm. fallen um and further that's why it's so unusual there's mm. really not a lot of these like at this stage at least there's not a lot of like kingdoms that are captured and completely gone from mm-hmm. existence now um so that's just something to keep in mind it is definitely the backdrop as we go into our main story mm-hmm. so now on to happier topics yeah yeah what do you think of that last chapter when yerga goes home and Geralt is just weirdly standing in the background i i love this chapter or this section um because honestly, like when you're reading it, I, I think I may have spoiled it a little bit um, during our, our summary, but you kind of actually don't, you kind of forgot about Siri. Um, with everything else that's going on, there's so much meat and, and so much density in uh, the actual topics that are occurring um, that you, you forget that Siri's a thing. Um, you you actually forget the events of what was going on and what led Geralt down this these long, you know, uh, subconscious uh, explorations to begin with. Um, so when you get there, when when you know we get there as a reader, and and you start you start piecing together, oh, there's a you know, he, the law of surprise actually kicks in because like oh, there's you know I have such great news to tell you, Jurgen. Um, we, we've, there's a child and, uh, it was found by the Druids and literally like I, I was sitting there as, as we were reading this, like with my, my jaw on the floor, like looking at Alexa, <laughs> like, no, no, it couldn't be. And then of course it was Siri. Um, so it feels very organic in the way it feels very organic in the way it wraps around, um, and comes full circle. Um, it feels it feels a little like Quentin Tarantino esque, Quentin Tarantino esque, um, honestly in in its circular storytelling a little bit, um, and I mean that as a as a big compliment that like you just completely forget where you were, where you thought you were going mm-hmm. until you get there and you just remember oh my god this is this is where we were coming from this is the same thing and that means that. Yeah, um, so it's just a very fun experience. I, I think that the theme of this definitely is like you can't run away from destiny. Mm-hmm. And again, something more is needed from destiny. Mm-hmm. Something more is needed than destiny. Mm-hmm. Because if you see, like Geralt was Geralt was constantly running away from his mm-hmm. destiny. Yep. So something more is needed. It's choice. It's that yeah, like, yep, commitment yep. to be there. Yeah. So when they're reunited, after Geralt has finally realized I was running away due to fear, and mm-hmm. now I'm ready for it. Yeah. I'm ready to take on the destiny. So I'm choosing to go with Jurgen 
instead of uh, Dandelion. And also, Siri is choosing to go with him now. Yes. And yep. when she's like, do you get it, Geralt? Like, I'm your destiny. When yeah, Siri yep. is saying that, yep. like, Geralt realizes the magnitude of it and mm-hmm. he's accepting it. Yeah. Which is why it makes it so meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people, and I've read this, um, were disappointed with how the Netflix show um, didn't, like, show the meeting of... Geralt and um, Siri and Brokilon mm-hmm. because there is so much magnitude um, to Geralt and Siri meeting, having that great dynamic, and mm-hmm. then Geralt choosing to leave because he couldn't yeah. deal yeah. with it, yep. and then coming back around at the end, realizing the magnitude of it, and mm-hmm. deciding I'm not going to run away from this anymore. This is my destiny. I'm accepting it. Yeah. Yep. So I think the way the book does this is really, really great. And I love that there are so many stakes to it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it is kind of sad that we don't get to see that on, on the, on the screen. Um, but I understand like they, yeah, they probably had to condense some things down for time. Cause like, they don't really have like half a season to build up to, you know, them, you know, them being apart and then Geralt learning lessons and then re- returning and choosing to, to be with, to, to, to travel with Siri. Yeah, I I told you that I was actually really glad I watched the show before I read the books. Yes. Because if I read the books before I watched the first season, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. But I think um, it makes sense why they did it like that in the TV show. But I think how the book does it, and it has so, you said this, it has so much more like time to do it. Yes. Than yep. the TV show. Yep. Like, I think that how the book did it really fleshed it out. And I mm-hmm. think you could if you like combine them in some way, mm-hmm. if you combine your understanding of the TV show informed by the books, it's so much more meaningful. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But at, at the end of the day, the TV show is only just trying to tell, it's trying to tell a seven book story in potentially like five or six seasons. This is an unrelated thing, but do you think they're ever going to do the shard of ice thing? Ooh. Cause I don't know. You know, that could be the kind of thing that I could see them for a TV show just leaving ambiguous. Um, because it's already kind of ambiguous with Geralt and Yen as to why they're always like... And they they kind of have just built them up to be like just very busy people who just kind of like pass like ships in the night kind of thing. That mm-hmm. like they sometimes are together, sometimes they're not. And I think it's just kind of they have these two kind of semi-independent destinies that are just kind of that just kind of keep meeting in the middle a little mm. bit. Um and I think they probably will just leave it at that. Like these perpendicular paths. Yeah, yes, that sometimes intersect. Um I would like to see Shard of Ice on screen, especially oh. because <laughs> we have met Eastrid before. They that's like, true. Eastrid we have is um purposefully they could have introduced anyone. But as, they like, did introduce Eastrid. So I if they wasted that, I don't understand why they introduced him earlier. But anyway. We we covered a lot, actually. This is a um, huge chapter. This is a huge it's chapter, and most, we, we covered like, it pretty well, I think. It's the most consequential chapter, mm-hmm. probably. I mean, everything has a consequence, but this is feeding into our main storyline with Blood of Elves, which we're getting into, mm-hmm. like, you know, right away. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. Um, 
So I want to ask you this, which I constantly ask you. Okay. But what do you think is going to happen in Blood of Elves? What are your predictions for what's next? I predict we're going to see uh, a lot of character development uh, between Geralt and Ciri. Um, I think we're going to see some Witcher training for Ciri. Because um, I'm fairly certain that does happen. Um, I think we're they're going to play around with the idea of Ciri whether she chooses to actually become a full witcher or whether she doesn't um it's my understanding that she undergoes some of the some of the trials and some of the mutations but not like the really dangerous ones um but i could be wrong in that i don't i don't actually know i'm interested to see in how that plays out um but i'm also super excited for like a young adult siri um because she's absolutely awesome um and i do want to see I do want to see how that plays out. So, how excited are you for Blood of Elves? Ten out of ten. Um. Or how excited are you for Blood of Elves out of ten? I would say probably, probably a nine and a half. Um, I'm pretty excited. You couldn't have gone with eleven. I mean, I I guess I could. Is that am I? Do you, am I not am I not believing hard enough? Believe harder. Okay. I am excited. Cool. Eleven out of a ten. Well, I think. That's but I am higher. I am very excited. I don't want you to think that I'm not. Um, we're we're excited to get into a book number one, Blood of Elves, and we are going to be doing a summary episode next week, just mm-hmm. recapping yep. sort of destiny. The main points, like the cliff, no- the cliffs notes versions. We're not going mm-hmm. through every single summary again. Yeah, but we're yep. just going to tell you the theme and what you need to know, and then we're going to close the chapter, move on to Blood of Elves, mm-hmm. and get into the main plot. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. I think the fire is getting a little low, though. Hey, that's my line. Yeah, I know. I'm taking it. <laughs> okay, it's you cuter when you it? say it. You want to say it? Oh, it looks like the fire is getting a little low. And uh, I think it's about that time. So, what time? It's that time. That time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Way to take all emotional depth and weight out of everything I say. Wow. Let me reestablish. Reset. Reset. Well, it looks like the fire is getting a little low. <laughs> and I think it's about that time. Until next time. I'm Alexa. And I'm John Mark. Good night. Good night.